0: This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to all Elders past and present, and honour their history, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Pep Talk. I'm Caroline Hugel, your host and Chief Cheerleader. know firsthand the value of a good pep talk. After more than two decades in the corporate world across Sydney, London and New York, I remain grateful for the pep talks that gave me perspective, confidence and helped steer me in the right direction. The pep talk podcast will give you the nudge you didn't know you needed in around 10 minutes, enough time to take a quick walk around the block while you're listening. It shares advice, experience and wise counsel from brilliant women connected to the world of media, communications and the arts. The first series of pep talk recognises the wonderful organisation Fitted for Work, a not-for-profit that helps disadvantaged women get work and keep it through mentorship and other work readiness programs. Fitted for Work's social enterprise, SheWorks, offers a recruitment solution for creating diverse workforces. You can find out more at fittedforwork.org. In this episode of Pep Talk, I'll be speaking with journo Antoinette Latouf. Antoinette has worked across nearly all major media in Australia, including Network 10, ABC, SBS, and is a popular guest commentator for a ton more. She's also the co-founder of Media Diversity Australia and was awarded the b and Women in Media Champion of Change and the Women's Agenda Leadership Award just last year. Antoinette's first book, How to Lose Friends and Influence White People was released this year and it's a must read. Seriously, it is so good. It's filled with personal and professional anecdotes, insights, humour and like all important books, it challenges the reader to take a look at their own perspectives on life. You'll find yourself considering how much you support diversity and inspire action to do better. Antoinette Latouf, we are thrilled to have you on Pep Talk. Welcome and thank you. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. Amazing. I like to start all these conversations, um, go right back to the beginning and ask you what you wanted to be when you grew up.
1: Honestly, and I don't know how I knew, but I knew that I would be where I am today. So from a very young age, I would tell my mother that I wanted... To make change and I wanted to be a journalist. And this is in an environment in which, you know, I had parents who were pulled out of school when they were seven and eight years old. I didn't know anybody who went to university very working class. Um, but somehow I just knew from a young age that this is something I wanted to do. So yeah, there was no like mer- wanting to be a mermaid or a fireman or anything like that. I just knew I wanted
0: to to tell stories and to challenge the status quo. What do you consider the biggest obstacle you've overcome as it relates to your career and industry?
1: Um, I think the biggest obstacle is probably writing my book because my book uh, while it's an anti-racism kind of manual and a how to do diversity and inclusion well, it's also at times a really scathing analysis of an industry that I'm part of. And for me, being, you know, a tree shaker as well as still working within the industry is a risky proposition because I'm already a minority. I'm already like of all other than um, Indigenous women, like as a woman of colour, have the least power and representation in this industry and then daring to challenge it or to ask for it to be better, it's a really tight rope to walk. I mean, that's why it's the cheeky title, How to Lose Friends and Influence White People, because there have certainly been friendship losses along the way, and there'll no doubt be some more. For me, it's finding that the end game and the purpose is more important, that sometimes there will be losses and sometimes it will be hurt—it will be hurtful and sometimes I will feel disempowered. Um, being able to continue this um, and to still have hope and to still have humour, that for me's probably been – I'd like to say I've overcome it, but I, that would sound like it's in the past tense. I am overcoming it. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the present tense because it's
0: an ongoing journey. What advice would you give Antoinette who's just about to enter the workforce?
1: This is a tough one. I mean, the the good news is for a younger Antoinette, there are more voices and perspectives – than when I entered. When I entered, there was nobody who was diverse. There was nobody in a prominent position who came from a working class Western Sydney background. There's now more of a community. So the thing I would say is find a community of people who can support you and will understand some of the setbacks of microaggressions you will face um, in the industry if you're not cookie cutter. So find your kind of your crew, find your cheese squad as well as finding your cheer squad, a mentor is so important. For decades, I have had Monica Attard, former ABC foreign correspondent, former um, host of Media Watch. Uh, she now runs the Centre for Media Transition at UTS. Uh, having women champion, championing women is so important, and she's always been in my corner and you know, told me things that made that were confronting, that I didn't like to hear, um, that made me reflect. So having you have your cheer squad, but you also have people that um, challenge you to be and do better. Uh, the other thing I would say is be authentic because what makes you different is actually, especially in this in- industry, if you are different, you have different story ideas, different contacts, different ways to approach a story, and that's in hot demand right now. So
0: lean into that. Oh, I love that response. All part, all parts of it. Find your cheer squad and be yourself.
1: And then find someone who'll who'll will be like critical of you because it's not all. It's not you're not all, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to stuff up, and you need to know how to come back from it.
0: What's one thing you'd walk past earlier on in your career that you wouldn't walk past today?
1: The importance of fighting for Indigenous storytelling. I used to accept the responses before that if I was to pitch a story or see something come through in the early days, the fax or email, and I would be like, Ugh, oh, nah, Indigenous stories don't do well or people don't click on them or that's too hard, too sad. And I would accept kind of the rhetoric from my higher-uppers to the point that I would then be complicit because then I would see those and park them in the too hard basket. Um over the past 5 or so years in my advocacy I've had to challenge myself and realize that I haven't always been the best ally to First Nations people. I haven't fought to amplify their voices or ch- pushed back when I was told, "Oh, that story's oh, that's
0: too depressing." You know,
1: well, that's just bullshit. We've got to find ways to tell these stories that matter.
0: Do you have a kind of life motto that keeps you going or something you, you turn to a saying or something that you use in your life? Um,
1: I always joke and say, you know, I'm from the get-go, I'm everything my father wanted in a son. Um, so I have <laughs> never I have never accepted what was expected of me, what was expected of someone who went to the schools I went to, someone from my background, someone from my gender, someone from my age. Um and I use that and I joke about it, but it kind of set me up in life to never never be pigeonholed or never be told what I can and can't do based on who I am or how somebody else categorizes me. My father and I have a great relationship now. he's super proud of me, but if I if I kept and heeded the expectations of others, I would never I would never be happy and I would never be empowered. Um, so that little line is a reminder to me to never accept. What is expected?
0: Who are the people in your life who have provided you with wise counsel, kind of throughout time?
1: Um, my husband, who I've been with for thirteen years, he's been, you know, an amazing partner, an ally, and parent to our children. Um, it's it's hard to be a mother if you don't have a partner who's truly a partner, not you know, not babysitting the children, like who's truly a partner in your journey. So my husband, Danny, Monica Attard has been an amazing mentor to me. Um, Talal Yassin, um, he's a philanthropist and business person. So we have a really funny, interesting backstory. His parents came as poverty stricken refugees from Lebanon the same time my parents did. They didn't know each other and they met each other at the markets, our parents. I wasn't born yet, but Talal and his, a few of his siblings were. And because they were so poor, they were just like, well, oh, come live with us, like we'll share the rent. So we were three families living in the one house. Um, and Talal has since come... Yeah, gone on to do so many, his lived experience, um, ha, and has gone on to do so many amazing things in the business world, and now started a scholarship for refugees in the name of his parents at Western Sydney University. So together, we've we've had a very similar background, um, and he's about a decade older than me. Um, and yeah, we've we've been we've been able to do the firsts together. So he's been a re- like a brother from another mother, who's been um, amazing, you know, amazing support for me.
0: A lot of, particularly women, struggle with talking about money. Um, And so I'm interested in what advice you have for listeners wanting to ask for a pay rise.
1: This is a really interesting question. And it's something that a lot of women, A, they naturally aren't inclined to do. And B, they don't want to do it to be seen as a troublemaker or ungrateful, or C, they don't want to be seen as a box-ticking diversity initiative. And so it's so funny that this question has come at this time because I've just spent the weekend with a girlfriend of mine and she was telling me how her and her husband, newly married, they are in the same organisation, they are the same seniority, and they get paid $40,000 difference. And they know because it's the same household income. And she's still reluctant. She's like, payroll and HR would know that we have a $40,000 discrepancy in our pay. I'm like, so why don't you say anything? I don't want to be seen as a troublemaker. I don't want to be seen. I don't want them to give it to me. I just think if I put my head down and I work hard, then maybe they'll they'll increase my pay. And my thing is the meritocracy doesn't exist. And we have to acknowledge that the systemic discrimination is there. And unless we challenge it, people aren't just going to, out of the goodness of their own heart, go, oh, I'm just going to do the right thing. Do away with the sense that it's troublemaking, because it's not troublemaking to be paid what you're worth. Um if you're going to wait to just put your head down and do the hard work well then you'll be waiting for a very long time because this these inequalities are entrenched and no matter how smart or how good you are or how much merit you have this system is it's a flawed system that is not based, based on merit thirdly I would say and what we ended up doing I wrote a list for her going okay here are the three things you could say what are you prepared to lose like what's what are the worst how do you think this could go badly let's let's um role play and she was like okay they would think i'm a troublemaker that was one i was like she's like god they kind of really think i am one i was like okay um she was worried that she would have career backlash like her career her progression would be stag would stagnate and then third that she would have to leave the organization so i think it's important to yes Amp yourself up and get your cheer squad around you to remind yourself that you are worth it and that the system is flawed and that we need to address inequities. But then also have a real and sobering kind of conversation with yourself or a mentor about what would you do in the in the in the case that things go badly in the case that you get punished in the workplace, are you prepared to leave? What if they say no? because I think once you once you play out those scenarios, You may find yourself more equipped to manage it or you may go, you know what, I don't want to be in an organisation in which if I dare ask to be paid what I deserve, that I fear for my career.
0: What advice do you have around hiring great people? It's very easy to hire in your image and to hire
1: people who make you feel comfortable or remind you of you. But that's also how we get a whole bunch of Peters and Johns who went to the same school all in boardrooms because they do that. Um, And so one thing I would say is challenge yourself to ensure that you don't just replicate what those blokes have been doing forever. Um, Hiring great people also ensures that uh, you also need to ensure that those at the table, hiring table with you are diverse because people will see different things. So you have age diversity, if possible, a panel of three or four where everybody is quite different because you identify different strengths uh, when you come with a different lens. Um, And be in the first six weeks really honest and open about what's working and I think it has to be an honest conversation that goes both ways. Um, I think in the first six weeks you get a very good feel for whether this is going to work or not and trust those instincts because if it doesn't work in the first six weeks, chances are it's not going to work six months or six years later.
0: Who do you most admire in business, and why?
1: I would have to say in business it's Talal Yassin because he has built a very successful business empire. So he has Australia's first Islamic superannuation fund, Australia's first Islamic wealth fund. So um, Islamic superannuation is Sharia compliant, so it's ethical superannuation. No gambling, no alcohol, no sex industries. Um, all of the only thing their portfolio invests in is things that are ethical having said that, after being very established in business, he's now used his voice and his accumulated wealth for philanthropy. He has a, um, a think tank, scholarships, and, and now dedicates his life to giving back. And so I think business, that can, be, that can better society. I'm not interested in getting rich off the back of people, of adding to entrenched inequities or damaging the environment or fueling addiction. Um, And then if you are lucky enough to accumulate wealth, then use it for the betterment of society. And so Talal Yacine is just such a prime example of that.
0: Are there work ethics and attitudes that you admire or most admire in women? Women are the hardest workers I
1: know and the best at time management and conflict resolution, hands down. Um, Women tend to be better at multitasking, more empathetic um, and better decision makers. So Wendy McCarthy, for example, she's a iconic third-wave feminist. Um, I met her just about six months ago. At, at 83 years old, she's still saying to me, what can I do, still trying to open doors for me. She's like, my work's not done until I'm sure that Australia is in the hands of female you know, feminists and leaders who are, who are going to do good um, for gender equality and better our society. So using whatever skills and impact you have and ensuring that you impart that on the next generation or you, c- you continue to back different women, um, I think that's that's pretty inc- a pretty incredible way to use your skills as a woman.
0: So Antoinette, you're known for speaking up, um, the world's a better place because you do, um, across themes such as diversity, mental health and you do this through sharing your own experiences, you know, like you have with postnatal depression and this this ultimately empowers people to do the same. What advice do you have for people who may lack the confidence to speak up?
1: Oh, gosh, this is a tough one. And because sometimes I have questioned the cost of speaking up, uh, because it's it's a heavy burden. Speaking up can be speaking up in your workplace. It can be speaking up in a family environment. I think There are different ways we can influence and it doesn't all have to be these kind of macro just huge gestures because that's not for everybody. And to be honest, not everybody has that kind of platform. So perhaps find something you're most comfortable with, like speak up amongst your school mums group or speak up amongst your industry You know your industry, female industry association, or maybe just speak up amongst your like your extended family at Christmas lunch or whatever it is. Um, I would take small steps Um, and also know that speaking up at say the extended family barbecue at the end of the year that is still impactful, even if it impacts three people. Um, Don't ever underestimate how you can have impact. irrespective of what the scale is
0: wow what a pep talk from Antoinette Latouche! don't forget to go and pick up her book how to lose friends and influence white people it's fantastic I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did that's it for this episode of pep talk you can find the full interview on com. pep talk is produced in partnership with World Stories I'm Caroline Hugel see you again soon